All right. Good morning, everyone. I hope your Bibles are nice and charged. Mine, mine's only about half charged. Do you want to tone me down just a little bit? Um, we're going to be in the book of James today, and we're going to be talking about having a proper perspective um, in our lives before the Lord. And can you tell me, tell me down just a little bit more? And so we're going to actually read through the first uh, eight verses of James 1. And that's, you know, I, I read through there. There's a good little section there that I figured we could, we could chew on. Um, actually, we're going we're gonna to read through that, and we're going to save most of it for next week. We're really only going to focus on one thing today. But before we even get started, let's pray one more time. Father God, I thank you so much for all that you do, Lord. I thank you for this church, Lord, to be a part of uh, your body to just love one another, to serve here. And I pray, Jesus, that you would give us a joy and an openness of heart towards your spirit, that we would hear his voice, that we would hear your word today, and uh, that we would be conformed to your image. So thank you, Jesus, for this time. Bless us and just speak the message you have for your people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So um, just a little introduction here <laughs> about the book of James, and not so much as in its historical background, but uh, its relationship to me. So James has kind of a special place in my heart. I've, I've read through it many times, and it's a book I really enjoy. But there's this thing that happened on several occasions where I would stop and I'd say, okay, Lord, where do you want me to read next? And God would say, James. I'd say, okay, I'd go read through James. And then I remember the first time it happened, it was like shortly after, um, I was doing man church with Mark, and he said, well, we're going to start a new series, and it's going to be the book of James. I said, okay, I guess I need to hear this again. So then a while after that, I had been journaling and writing devotionals, and I, I wanted to find a book that I could really dig into and just go verse by verse and just fill up my time in early in the morning. And I said, Lord, where do you want me to study from? He said, the book of James. I thought about arguing, and I just said, okay, Lord, I'll go. I'll get in the book of James. Fast forward a little bit, uh, I was gifted a whole box set, these ESV journaling Bibles. They're really nice. Whole scripture one page, line paper the other page. And I'd you know, written some things in them and was going through a couple of books. And I finally stopped and I said, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go next? And you know what he said? The book of Matthew. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, he said the book of James. And at that point, I was like, God, you got to be kidding me, like, did I not get it the first 15 times? Is that what we're doing here? Um, and it's funny, actually, when I have when I've went through James to actually write in it, I don't think I've ever got past chapter 3. So about a month ago, as Pastor Mark was preaching, and I don't, I don't really remember exactly what sermon it was, but I remember I had I'd had a rough week, and I just remember being so filled with the Spirit and just being so, very attentive to Mark's words. And, um, and in the middle of Mark's sermon, the Lord just said, Ask him to preach through James. No reason, no context, had nothing to do with his sermon, I don't think. And I said, okay, I guess I can't. Uh, I'm not going to get away with only getting to chapter 3 this time. So I believe the Lord has something for us in this book. And it's a very straightforward book. A lot of people like James because it's very, very practical. And really, it's kind of the New Testament book on... Um, really on wisdom and what wisdom looks like walking out in our faith. So join me. We're going to start, and we're going to read through these ver first um, eight verses together. James, 
a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I read that whole section just because I really wanted, I really wanted to read through it. I wanted to, to let the Word of God do its work in your own heart. However, to, for today, we're only going to focus on the first verse because there's a word in there that as I begin to pray and begin to study that God just really drew me to, and it's a very important word, and the word is bondservant. The word is bondservant. And we want to focus today on what does it mean to be a bondservant, and why is it that James chose to call himself that? So James, if there is a list of people that had a right to boast about who they were in their faith in the church in reference to Christ, James was definitely on that list, okay? Because this James was the half-brother of Jesus. After the resurrection, he became a prominent member of the church. He was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was well-known, an author of one of the New Testament scriptures. This, this is a notable man. He would have been uh, spoken highly of amongst the church. Um, and interesting enough, you know, growing up with Jesus, think about that. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to grow up with Jesus as your big brother? Like, I know some people, they have like this weird complex because like one brother was always like the better athlete. Like, I don't know, his mind was probably all messed up. Like, man, my brother does miracles. Like, I'm still over here just building houses. I don't know what he did. But... It's interesting that growing up with Jesus, James didn't actually believe in his brother until after the resurrection. In fact, there's one point um, in, in Jesus' ministry that he's preaching, and um, the people tell him, hey, your mother and your brother are outside, and, and they're trying to come and take you because they thought he was going crazy. They couldn't believe what he was doing. And he said, who is my mother and who is my brother except for those who do the will of God? But in Acts chapter 1, we actually see that when the disciples first gathered together before the day of Pentecost, James is there. It says Mary and, and her sons were there. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to have this up, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, it tells us, uh, Paul writes, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. 
And then the verse that isn't up there is, Paul says, and then myself as one born out of due time. You know, so it's interesting, as James is writing this letter, he doesn't call himself, he doesn't say, oh, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, the glorious apostle, the, the head over the church in Jerusalem, uh, the beloved, you know, he didn't, he didn't go on and on with credentials. He didn't really even give himself any honorable title at all. Instead, he wrote to the church and he said, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and that word bondservant there, it's a Greek word, I think it's doulos. I always want to say doulos because it sounds better, but I think it's doulos. And it can be one of two things. It's, it, at, at the very least, it means a slave. He's saying, James, a slave of God and of my Lord, Jesus Christ. Not of my half-brother, who we were really cool, by the way, you know? No of my Lord Jesus Christ. And that word slave, it can be someone who was bought into bondage, but there's also a secondary um, use for that word, and it's for someone who puts themselves willingly into the service of a good master. So if we go back to the Hebrew culture, um, there was this proposition, right? So if Jason was a landowner, and he had vineyards, and he had houses, and servants, and all these things, and I, um, and I was a bond servant on Jason's plantation, and after several years of being there, I was about to be released from my service, I might realize, you know, hey, like, Jason is a really good landlord. He's a really good master, right? I have all this good work, He's put me as a steward over, over you know, other people and over other things. I have a house that he's provided for me. I have a space. He, we eat well because of his goodness. You know, we have this kind of messed up picture of like slavery in the Bible. People see, oh, there are slaves in the Bible, and they get all freaked out, right? The Bible teaches that if any man had slaves, because that was a very normal part of the culture, that they were to treat them well. And in fact, in the Old Testament, if you... If you had a slave, they could only be a slave for a certain amount of years, and then there was a year where they, you had to let them free. So this was not, you know, like roots on TV where people are getting strung up and whipped and, you know, just thrown out to pick cotton. That's not, that's not the basic idea of slavery here. They would be well provided for. And so if I decided, you know, really, I've, I've got a better life here working for Jason than what I would probably have out on my own. Man, I just, I want to stay. I want to be part of this mission. I want to be part of this work. I want to be part of this family. I could take myself and I could take Jason down to the, the, the elders, the judges, and I could tell them that I wanted to become a permanent servant for my brother. And they would hear my case and if it was agreeable, they would take, and I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they'd find some post, and they'd go, and they'd, and they'd pierce your ear. And it was a sign that you were giving yourself, because of your love for your master, as a servant for the rest of your life, to this person. 
And so James, um, when he writes to the church, he describes himself as that. And that's very interesting to me. And I was thinking about, about his, him and his relationship to Jesus. And think about this. James, he grew up with the Messiah. He grew up with Christ. I'm sure he probably had heard from Mary how Jesus got there at some point, okay? He was present. He saw Jesus going around preaching. He saw the miracles. He saw the signs. He saw the wonders. But he was there at least probably in Jesus' life for two decades, probably, at least, before Jesus ever started his public ministry. And in all that time, knowing Jesus and hearing about the promise and knowing all the things that Mary was holding in her heart about this child, he did not believe. He had no faith. And it's very interesting to me because as I was considering that, I began to think about America. And I began to think about all the children and all the youth groups and all the people coming into college and all the young men and women who grew up in a home where they talked about Jesus, they went to church every Sunday, they prayed before their meals, they saw the faith of their parents, and yet they had no faith at all. There was nothing personal piercing through their hearts. There was nothing to give them new life. It was just someone else's program. And for James, it was very much the same way. You know, it took the work of the Lord to break through his blindness and his hardened heart, even as the brother of Jesus, even seeing all these things, just like it did for us. Just like it did for us. And this is important. For one, it's creating a backdrop for what I'm about to explain to you. But also, just as a side note, for anybody who has children, anybody who has grandchildren, Anybody who has family members who are far from the Lord, for us who are, who are going on the campus and on the high schools and just wanting to share the love of Jesus with people, like, we are not going to be better evangelists than Jesus. We're not going to be better evangelists than Jesus. Jesus was with him, and yet James did not believe until after Christ had died and been resurrected. Because salvation is a work of God, and it takes waiting for the perfect timing and will of God for someone to receive new life. Salvation is a miracle. It's not an act. It's not a work. It's not a convincing argument. I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it until y'all are really tired of it. But if you convince somebody into the kingdom, and that's all it is, Satan will convince them right out. And this is why there's such confusion about, oh, well, this person, he was a Christian for now. He fell away from the church and he lost his faith. And I'm like, no, he didn't lose his faith. He never had faith. He was, he was just very unconvinced. Salvation, it's an act of new life that only God can give. And we need to be, we need to be obedient to share, to share the word because Christ gives salvation in the foolishness of preaching. And we need to be patient to love, but we also need to know that if we're not praying, and if we're not hoping and waiting on the Lord, that's where the power is. And also, man, I have preached to some stubborn, hard-headed people, 
because that's probably how Jesus felt preaching to me, right? And there have been some people who I just thought, like, man, like, this is never going to happen. And then out of nowhere, I see them a year later, and they're in the kingdom praising Jesus, talking about how blind they were and how one day God came in and gave them new sight. Man, it's amazing. And so I say all that to give, to give you hope, right? To give us hope. It's a good thing to wait on the Lord. And this is how it was for James. James was not just suddenly convinced by Jesus. It took the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit after the death of Christ to bring him into the kingdom. But it was also this experience that allowed him a proper perspective of who he was. I think, it's, I think it's understanding that it had to have been a work of God to give him new life. That if it wasn't for that, he would have kept on in his disobedience, kept on in his blindness. I think that is what humbled him to call himself not the brother of Christ, not an apostle, but simply a bondservant of the Lord. Because I think there's a humility that God wants us to have in remembering where we came from and what he saved us out of that allows us not just to get down on other people's levels, but really like, let me tell you something. If you want to follow Jesus, if that's still in your plan on a day-to-day basis, if you really want to love people, you cannot just get down to their level. In fact, you have to go under it. You have to go below them. When Jesus had to get under his disciples to wash their feet, Jesus had to make himself lower than anybody else in the room was willing to go. Because there should have been a servant washing feet. One of them should have washed feet. It was a job for the lowest of the low. And Jesus took himself there for people who didn't deserve it. And for us as Christians... The love of God and having a proper perspective of who God is and who we are has to be that I don't care what you have. I don't care, you know, if you have a nicer car than me, if you have a bigger house than me, you know, how many signs and wonders you have seen. There's something that I was sharing uh, with a friend of mine in Bernie the other day, and I've shared it several times, but it's this perspective that God has given me, and it's been such an encouragement to me because I'm able to remind myself, and it's this, it's the fact that I'm able to remind myself anytime there's any temptation to be proud or boastful or anytime someone is saying, oh, you did such a great job and blah, 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 I'm able to remind myself that I am nothing more than what God made me to be. That's it. That is all I am. I'm nothing more than that. But I can also know and be encouraged by the fact that I'm nothing less than what God has made me to be you know? And whatever that is, whatever that is, God made me that, and it's a joyful thing, and I can rest in that. And that can be a word to humble me, (laughs) and that can be a word to encourage me. And so I want to share that with you. You are nothing more than what God made you to be, but you're also nothing less, right? And so it's a good thing to follow the image of Christ and to humble ourselves as servants, and understand that we're servants of one another. Um, I want to read something. This is really cool. So I was looking up 
basically the pronunciation of the word, doulos, right? Because I always want to say doulos, so I was looking it up. Um, but as I was looking it up, and I clicked the little thing on Blue Letter Bible, and it speaks to you, doulos, doulos. Uh, I went ahead and just read through the rest of the, the rest of the definition there. And there's a part on Blue Letter Bible that says biblical outline and usage. And it kind of gives not just the straight definition, but also kind of the connotation, the working definition of when the Bible uses this word, what does it mean? And there was this, um, there was one part of that that I thought was really important that I wanted to share with you. And it said this. The word doulos means someone who is devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. To be devoted to Christ in such a way that you disregard your own interests. And I remember as I was telling you the story of all the times the Lord has sent me back to James, the first time I began to journal in it, I did the same thing. I got to verse 1 and I couldn't get past it. Because when I saw him writing to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, I suddenly realized, like, man, he had to go buy paper. He had to go buy quills. He had to write all this out by hand, pour out his heart with ink. And then he had to pay someone, probably, to take this message, like, across a continent and then have them distributed out to all these other people. And I just thought about the, the amount of work and intentionality that he had to show those people love and favor by encouraging them by the Holy Spirit. And I remember being so convicted when we can literally go tap, 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 and I can send a message to every person in this room if you have the internet. And we don't humble ourselves to take the time and the intentionality to encourage one another in the Lord. I just couldn't believe that. But you see, James described himself rightly as someone who was so devoted to Christ that he was willing to disregard his own interests. And that's what it means to be a bondservant. That's what it means, honestly, to be part of God's kingdom. You see, as those two definitions of doulos, a, a slave involuntarily and a servant voluntarily, there has to be an understanding and an experience of that on both sides in our life. On both sides in our life. Because there has to be this understanding. I love the Bible says, man, we were bought at a price, right? Salvation was free for us, but it was not free. It cost something. And I'm thankful that I am a servant of God, and that transition from death into life was involuntary. The Lord came to me the same way he came to Paul, in an instant. And Paul went from Saul of Tarsus still breathing threats and murder against the church to suddenly waiting for three days in darkness to hear from the Lord on how he could serve him. And it was an involuntary act of God's salvation. But it's a good thing. And now that I'm alive and I can see there should be the perspective that we have that, man, I am a bondservant of Christ, not just because I have to be, not because he made me, because, you know, there's the whole free will and blah, blah, blah debate. Like, regardless, we, at the very least, we experience will and choice, at the very least, right? However free that is, I don't know, but we experience it that way. 
And so there's got to be a place in my heart where I understand that now my devotion to Christ is not because I have to. It's not a grudging obligation, but there should be a longing and a joy that when I stop and realize, you know, my master's pretty good. My master's pretty good. This life that he's given me is actually way better than probably any life I could make for myself or I would have made for myself outside of his work and kingdom. And you know, if I just continue serving him, he'll probably continue providing for my food, continue providing for my house, continue providing for my family. I think, I think I'm in a place where I don't just have to serve the Lord. I think I want to serve the Lord. And that's where our hearts should be. But there's this tension, especially for this side of the room, of wanting to serve the Lord and yet still having our own kingdom to build somewhere, right? Still wondering what our status is in the kingdom. Still wondering, you know, where our place is, what, what, what title is going to be on the business card, how many figures we're going to make, right? What house we're going to live. There's still this idea of, ki- of, of our own kingdom that we can hang on to Yet Jesus says in uh, Matthew 20, 26, that it should not be that way among us, that anyone who desires to be great, let him be your servant. And there's another, another passage where he says, anyone who desires to be great in the kingdom, let him be servant of all, right? And in 2 Timothy 2, 2, uh, 2 21, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And the Lord is telling us there's a place in our heart where we have to clear out all these things that distract us from him and make ourselves useful, make ourselves ready and willing. And God comes in and empowers us through that. So as we we bring this to a close, guys, one more aspect about being a bondservant, specifically to the Lord. You know, Paul and probably, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably all the apostles at some point refer to themselves as a bondservant or in some way or at least consider them th- themselves that much. But, you know, that didn't give them any less authority as apostles. It didn't give them any less purpose. In fact, if anything, it gave them more. Because there's this place where if you want any type of legitimate authority, Legitimate authority only comes from owning something. If you own it, it's yours. Or, be, or receiving it from a legitimate authority. And as bond servants of Christ, like, man, we get to share in our master's work and stewardship. And Jesus doesn't just call us slaves. He calls us friends. So guys, whatever you've been given, whatever you have, it's a gift of God, right? And I believe he's calling us to be mindful of how we see the world, how we see each other. This has been something that's been coming up in, in some of the conversations I've been having uh, with several different people, this, this view that we have towards other people and remembering like wherever they were, or whatever issues might be had, we had the same ones or worse at some point. And that we're called actually to make ourselves lower. 
Because before we can really, really say, yes, I have devoted my life to Jesus, we have to be willing to give up our own kingdom and pursuits and just trust that, hey, I've got a better master. I've got a better provision in God than I would ever have chasing my own way. So guys, let's pray. Um, And let's ask the Lord just to give us servant hearts and just to prepare us as we go through the book of James that that is really that idea of being a servant, of being humble before the Lord is gonna be a backdrop of the rest of our studies. So Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your your word. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, now we don't... (laughs) We don't become servants by by having a pierced ear, but Lord, by having pierced hearts. And so Jesus, I pray that your spirit and your word would just pierce our hearts and teach us to love one another. Teach us to serve. Teach us to be ready for every good work, Lord God. And help us see things clearly to know what what is really furthering your cause and kingdom and what is just keeping us distracted. And Father God, I pray that you would just help humble our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.